could find your seat. That would be great. I just realized I quoted Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> all right, all right. Um, welcome, welcome. Hope everyone had a good Thanksgiving. Yes? I had a good one as well. I, we were joking this morning about people running the turkey trot, and I said the only workout I did was the lifting food to my face. Um, so I'm feeling good. Okay, so if you're, if, you, if you're confused, I am not Pastor Rich. You don't have to, like, clean your glasses or get your eyes checked. You are looking at a white guy with hair. Um, <laughs> um, for those of you guys who are new this morning, uh, my name is Alan Motes. I'm the campus minister here. Pastor Rich and Miss Donna, our lead pastor, he is still in California visiting his son Sterling for the holidays. And I have the privilege of getting to be with you guys today and to bring the message. Yeah, so um, let me... Let me say this, if, you are, if it is your first time here, um, thank you for making the uh, effort to be here after Thanksgiving on Sunday, and I know there's a lot of places you've gone, but we always want to tell you thank you for making this place the place you worship. Let me recap a little bit about where we've been. We've been in a series called Count It. It's a three-week series, and I'm finishing this up today. Pastor Rich has preached the last two weeks um, on Psalm 103 which is a powerful praise psalm that David wrote. And uh, let me go through a little bit. The series is called Count It from the 103rd Psalm. The idea is being, being that God has this, this covenant love that is everlasting towards us. Therefore, we praise him and we count our blessings and our benefits he has given us. In fact, Pastor Rich has talked about the opposite of praise is forgetfulness. That when we forget who God is, or his blessings or his benefits, we start to be crusty and complaining type of people but when we don't and we remember his goodness, we stay as praisers. Our praise is always on our lips that we don't forget who he's created us to be. The last two weeks, he took us through verses 1 through 14, calling them the divine benefit package. All these benefits God give us. And he broke down all the many ways God bestows these blessings on his children. And, he, and it begs the question that he asked, he asked him last two weeks is, do we count our blessings or do we think our blessings don't count? When we are thankful for the unseen, this is something you talked about a lot last week, it helps us walk in the things seen all around us because eternal blessings don't change. So today, let me transition it to, we're gonna be going through verse 15 and 19. The statement eternal blessings don't change leads me to this question. Do we focus our lives on that which is temporary or on that which is eternal? Because this is a really important thing, and it can totally affect how we live day to day. Um, let me read the passage, and we will get started. Psalm 103, verse 15 through 19 said, As for a man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it and is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children. To those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Let's pray. God, I thank you this morning that we are here and that we have the choice and the privilege to worship you together as a family. Lord, I thank you that this week was a week of thanksgiving where we remember all the blessings, God. And Lord, I pray today that we would hear this in a fresh way, that we would, if our whole life we've told, been told to be thankful that, Lord, we would, something would change in our hearts that say, you know what, I, it's not a burden to be thankful. It's an easy thing. 
to remember your goodness and your benefits and all the things you've bestowed upon us. So Lord, I just pray today that you help us as we study and help us to know you more and that it would not just become head knowledge but become revelation in our hearts that we live from. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, let's go to verse 15 and 16. As for a man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it and it is gone and its place knows it no more. Okay, so... What this is saying, you guys can probably understand, is that life is short, right? But we have a time appointed to us where we live and we flourish, as it talks about, or a time in which we grow, like, the, like grass or flowers would do. But it's fragile, because flowers aren't real tough stuff, right? And when's la- Well, except that the grass is really wet. When was the last time you were mowing your lawn and you couldn't cut the blades, right? Or it's really long. Um, but it's fragile, And so you look at it and go, well, we have this time given to us where we flourish and we grow, but in comparison to eternity, it's pretty short-lived, right? The Bible talks about it's just a mist that we're here, like just here today, gone tomorrow. And I know that we we talk about this all the time on campus, like students sometimes wait to plug in, and I tell them, like, a lot can happen in your life in four years, a lot. God can do a lot in a week. He can do a lot in a day, in a moment. But the truth of it is, in comparison to eternity, which we will live in with him, this is a moment. And so this passage is saying, like, we, we need to remember it's kind, of, it's kind of fragile. It's kind of short. So what are we going to do with that? Now let me go to, let's go to Acts 17. Now this is, a, if you're a college student, you hear me use this one all the time. Um, it's funny I'm preaching today because a lot of the students are gone, which they won't care because they hear me every week on campus. Um, but... In Acts, Paul is talking in Athens, and, he, and it says, So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For I have passed along and observed the objects of your worship. I also found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship is unknown, I, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by hand, by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to men, all mankind, life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined the allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. Um, some translations say, well, let me finish it out, that they should seek, go to verse 27, sorry, that they should seek God and hope that they might feel their way towards him and find him, yet he is actually not far from each one of us. So Paul here is basically preaching the gospel, but that some translations say that he determined the exact times and places in which we should live. It's not a coincidence that you are here right now in this time. It's crazy when you think about God knew what year I would live in, what city I would live in, at what time. And and, and so it kind of goes along this idea that life, we think we have a lot of control over what happens, but really God's already set up exactly when we're supposed to be here and when we're not, where we're going to live, what time. Um, now, why he puts me here at this time is something that's pretty cool that we get to try to figure out of like, why, God, did you place me here now? But when you look at it, you, you, this idea that he determines the times and places which we should live. So if he determines those things, and life is like a flower or a grass where it comes up and the wind blows over and it's no, no more, I think we waste so much time running around trying to figure out stuff except when we should just go to the creator who determined where we're supposed to be and when and let him guide and determine and show us how we're supposed to live in the time given. 
And I believe you were talking about being effective or, you know, making most, most impact to their life. I can promise you this. I did not make much impact on this world except negatively apart from Christ. But when I started to send my life to him, I start to see him work through me. And, and I hope and pray that we're starting to change the world for his kingdom when we do that. Now, let me go on. Verse 16 basically is saying that mankind, and this is true, I, when you think about it, with the exception of certain major characters throughout history and, 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 and uh, major people who changed the world, um, mankind are mostly forgotten once they're gone. Now, it may not be for the following few generations, but I don't know about you guys. I didn't know my great-great-great-grandparent or great-great-great-great. You know, like, I don't know them. I didn't ever met them. I, I don't typically remember or think about them. But, you know, of course, I remember my grandparents that have passed. But when you think about it, it's like, well, mankind gets forgotten. Now, this isn't a negative thing. But what it's trying to say is that um, even though it's short, even though a lot of times once we're down the road 100 years, we're not remembered by the world, that they're on to their next thing, um, we can leave a legacy that lasts, that will affect people far beyond us, even though they may not even know it came from you. Now, which we're going to get into that legacy when we get into verse 17 here in a little bit. So these two verses ask this question. This is going to be on the screen. Life is quick. What are you going to do with it? Just take a moment to ponder that. Life is quick. What are you going to do with it? This is where it is so important for us not to become forgetful, as we've talked about this series, or to forget. Because the question, why are we here, God, Who are we really here for? God. Who redeemed me? God. Who gave me identity and has the plan for my life? God. And so if we're wondering what we're going to do with it, I and we could insert any question you want there, like I've been saying, go to the creator. As the creation, we won't understand ourselves apart from the creator. But when we go to him, it starts to become very clear what are we going to do with our life. Um which the second part of the passage we're going to get to really talks about this. But if we remember that we're here because of God, that he's the one who redeemed us, that he gave us our life and our identity, um, we don't lose our praise, which is what David's time has. Do not forget the greatness and the blessings and the, and the benefits of God. Remember, and we said this before, the opposite of praise is forgetfulness. I don't know about you guys, life gets in the way sometimes and I start to slip on this. But I pray that I be so close and walk in such intimacy with God that I don't ever get to a place of forgetfulness about his goodness. In fact, he's making it pretty, it's pretty easy for me. I, uh, he's, I've been telling our campus staff this, God keeps bringing me to the end of me a lot. Um, it doesn't take very long, just a few moments out of line with him that he's like, hey, you can't do anything apart from me. Oh, yeah. Back in, back in the thing, I'm not forgetting. Let's keep singing his praises. Because it, but here's my challenge to you guys is let's not go through these times where it's, I don't know about you guys, for a lot of times in my life, especially in my younger years, um, grew up in church, had great, have great parents who raised me to know the Lord, um, fell away. After I had gotten, this is the crazy part, I had accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior and then fell away for a lot of years. And basically majoring in being a heathen for like five years of my life and didn't completely had become forgetful. I had no praise on my lips. And as I started to follow God, this is something that I was pondering with one of my friends a long time ago, is that it seemed like I'd go through this cycle. 
where I'm really good, my praise is great, I'm not being forgetful, and then it was inevitable, and I knew it was coming, I would fall off, get back into old sin patterns, do stuff, forget my praise, and then wake up one day with that aha moment, oh, and get back to repent and get back to praising. How many of you guys have been to that cycle? It's like, good, not so good, oh yeah, I need to get back with God, this isn't working without him, right? But here's the thing, the more I've submitted to God, the more I've let him walk in my life, and I promise you this would work for you, that circle started to get smaller and smaller. That the cycle I would go through ended up not being so long, and it didn't take long where I'm on the bottom and in sin and immediately repent and go, gosh, I need back with you, because I, when I'm forgetful, my life is no good. And the, ho- the hope is it becomes a dot. There is no cycle anymore, that he is just who it is all the time in your life. Does that make sense, what I'm trying to say? So... That's where this idea, the opposite of praise becomes, is forgetfulness. This is how we are able to walk rightly, as Pastor Rich talked about last week, in the things seen, because we keep our thankfulness and praise in the one and for the things unseen. It is how we leave an impactful legacy in this temporary time and place in which God has chosen us to live. Now, let's go on to the second part of the passage, verse 17 through 19. Actually, I'm just going to go 17 to 18 right now. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness, righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. Now, this is a pretty powerful switch David makes here because really when I was reading the passage, Pastor Rich went over some large sections that listed all these benefits and reasons to remember and praise God. And then David makes this switch where he, in the verse 15 and 16, he talks about the temporary for a moment to remind us, hey, your life's short here. Don't focus on this part. Focus on what she switches right here in verse 17 and 18 to the eternal, the everlasting. And it's, it's, if you're not careful, you just read over it like, oh, no, no, yeah, life's short. God's everlasting. Got it. But he's trying to make a powerful thing about where I asked that original question this morning, this morning is where is our focus? Is it on the temporary or is it on the internal, the everlasting? I even titled the message today, Focus on the Eternal. Um, I could feel that like cough coming because my throat was getting itchy. So it switches from temporary to that which is everlasting or eternal because it switches from talking about us, right, to talking about God, the eternal one. If I remember right, the Bible says about God and Christ that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. There is no change about who he's been. He's always been who he, he is. His character's never changed, and he will always be that way. This is not a short, fleeting thing like he talks about. This is not a flower that grows and the wind blows and goes away. God is unmoved, not changed. And I, I would imagine we're going to be a lot more stable when we focus on the eternal and what's everlasting and does not move than the stuff that does, the temporary things. And so that's pretty good that he doesn't change because Christ... God, the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, they are perfect. That's a God that's worth worshiping and praising. One that he has no end, and there's never an end to how great he is, but he's never changed. I don't know about you guys, that's one of the hardest things in life I see a lot of times is people don't trust people and don't want to go in a relationship with them because they're afraid people are going to change the way they are or that they're not going to be who they are consistently. And I know for me, that's been one of the things I've strived for in my life is I want to be the same person everywhere I am, no matter what the situation, not changing based on who I'm around. But we do that. We have a hard time with that. But see, God doesn't. He's perfect all the time, yesterday, today, forever. That's a stable place to put your your hope, your stock, if you will. That's a stable place to, you know, to 
bank everything in. Now, verse 17, it specifically, it talks about, if you'd pull that up for me. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children. For God's love is steadfast, never-ending, is what this really means. He won't break his promises or his covenant. Numbers 23, verse 19 says, God is not a man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he, has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? It's kind of, I don't want to beat the idea, but you guys get what he's saying here is that God doesn't change. And if he says it, he's going to do it. He's going to fulfill it. There is no question about him. His character is always the same. And so when you look at it here in verse 17, when it talks about the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting, it's saying it's never ending. It does not change. He never stops loving you. He doesn't run out enough of love. Like, oh, I've loved Lindsay enough. I don't have much left for Alan today. We're good. No. You know, so it really challenges me to say what kind of God is in our mind? How big is he? Let me check my time here. For God, this is something that's gonna be on the screen. For God, covenant, which we're gonna talk about here in a second, equals everlasting. Because when Pastor Rich talked a little bit about this covenant when it was, when it was cut in this time, the Bible times that this was written, there, your word, and this is something I would love to see more in our culture again, but people's word and their name meant something. And all they had to do was shake hands, and that was done. And they were saying in covenant, literally, back in the day when they would do sacrifice to animals, not to get too into this, they would split the animal. And the blood would walk down, and they would walk through this together to make this blood covenant, Some, this on the real serious stuff, right? And they, literally what they were saying is, let this be done to me as we've done to this animal if I ever break this covenant. But see, if we just talked about God doesn't change, if he said it, he'll do it. If he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, when he makes covenant, there is no breaking this. There's no concept in his mind that this could end. Um, that's something I, I remember my parents talking to me about was they, weren't always, they were not always perfect. They would fight. They'd have issues in their marriage and different things. But they said, we made a covenant, and divorce and splitting up is not an option that is ever going to be on the table. And that spoke to me as a child because it gave me security in knowing they're not going to, no matter how mad they are at each other, they're not going to split up. Now, I, I mean, that may not be your story, but my point is, that kind of covenant is the kind of thing I want to see us walk with among our spiritual family, that we will never break, we'll never cut, we'll never run, because God, with him, it's everlasting. So we don't have to wonder if the stuff he promised us in Psalm 103 or that his love or his stuff is, not, is going to run out. If he's made a covenant with his people, it will be seen to completion without question. And, then my, and I'll challenge you guys, do you believe that? Because sometimes if it doesn't happen how we think it should, we start to question, is God really, I don't know. And the enemy loves to come in and like, see, I told you. He doesn't know what he's doing. He's, not, he's forgotten about you. This wasn't on my notes, but I just felt like God spoke to me now. The passage talks about he who began a good work and you will see it to completion in Christ Jesus. There is no question on this. Now, for God, covenant equals everlasting. So the Lord's love is with those um, who fear him, it says. Or it says the Lord blesses those who fear him in some translation, if you go back to verse 17. But those who fear him also in some translations even um, translated as the obedient ones. 
For the Lord loves and blesses those who fear him or the obedient ones. Now, fear is a weird word for us sometimes because we're not talking about being scared of God. If you guys have heard this concept talked about, that it's really an honor or a respect for our Lord. Now, so he said, those who honor God, those who respect him, his love and his blessings are with them. Now, here's the thing. Some of us will be going, well, I haven't done a good job. I don't even. The truth is his love is with us regardless. He doesn't, like, he's not a respected person. He doesn't love me more than anyone else in the world. Um, but there's something powerful about an everlasting love, an eternal life that he's given to those who honor and fear him. There's an intimacy and a level of love that you can feel when you're walking in relation with him, when you're honoring him, when you respect him, when you fear him, as it talks about, as opposed to going through life, ignoring him, and knowing that his love might be there, but there's something about, I don't know, I, I guess I'll just put it simply this way, I'm not going to know Lindsay's love if I'm not ever with her, but when I'm walking with her, and, I, and we love each other, and we submit to each other, and we honor each other, this love starts to grow, and you feel it in a way that's more powerful than anything you can imagine. So with God, he loves all of us, but there's something amazing that happens when you honor him, and you fear him, and you respect him. His, his blessings and his, his everlasting love that we talked about comes to you in a powerful way. Now, see, um, the biggest problem in our world is not moral failure, but a failure to honor God. A lot of times we look at things and go, well, it's sin that's the problem. Well, sin is really wherever God's not. And so when I look at my life, the problem is not when I morally fail. He's taking care of that. And I can repent and make it gone. But the problem where I'm walking out and where I can do damage in my life is when I'm not honoring him, that's when I get into those things. And I'm not walking in relationship with him. Does that make sense, what I'm saying? Because I think a lot of times, like, man, if people would just stop. The truth is, if you, it, you know, I don't know, the church makes me upset sometimes because we act like people who don't know God should act like those of us who do. That the world should, not, should act saved when they're not. And, and really, we're worried about the stuff they're doing and the issues and the same when it's going, no, what we need to do is show people the goodness of God that Paul, um, David's talking about here. Help them understand who he is so this desire in them, this, this kindness, this loving kindness that draws them to repentance, they'll realize, man, this God is worth honoring and worshiping. And now when that's my focus, the stuff isn't the, really the issue anymore. And I don't know about you guys, all the sin and mess that I struggle with still in my life, it becomes less and less the more I focus on him and work on this versus focusing on that. And so this idea starts to get worked out because it's like, well, my focus and my issue is not the moral failure. It's, is my heart in line with honoring God? Because when it is, I don't think moral failure is gonna be your problem. Um, really, if you're honoring God fully, your problem is gonna be the fact that you're um, a threat to the enemy and he doesn't like that. Not in a scary way because he can't touch you. The point is, is you're like, man, these people are gonna change the world. It's not a problem for us, I guess I should have it that way. It's a problem for the enemy. Now, that was free. That wasn't on there. All right, so. And see, this is, if we're talking about moral failure is not the issue, but a failure on a God, this is what really breaks my heart because when I think about, as a, as a campus minister, I'm on campus, I don't know, I, I, I challenge students all the time, like, you are he, yeah, you're gonna get education, but you are not here primarily for that. God has got you in this time and place to be a light and a witness and a disciple in this campus right now. And I challenge them all the time, like, think beyond you. Think missionally. Think about your neighbors in the dorms and your intramural teams and your classes and all the people around us. And for us, that may be your workplaces, your neighborhoods. 
not doing me, but thinking about them, taking it from me to we to them. This idea that if I'm honoring God, I believe that it should start to break your heart for all of those out there who don't know him. Um, and so this is the stuff that keeps me up at night or really bothers me when I walk in on campus is that it breaks my heart to know all those who will die without getting to live eternally in this love that all of Psalm 103 talks about, this everlasting love, that everlasting eternal relationship with God. Jesus Christ said eternal life is this, that they may know God, not just living forever. It can start now that you would literally eternal life is walking and knowing God. The life apart from him really is no life at all. So I don't know about you guys, if I have something that great in me, how could it not bother me if someone else doesn't have that, if I'm so convinced of it? This, I think, compels us to go and share this to the world. Now, it talks about in the second part of verse 17 about his righteousness. It says he... he the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children. So this idea that we said he blesses those who fear him, those who honor him, but he also, his righteousness is with those who honor him and love him and fear him. Um, and it not stops with me, it goes to, to our children's children. I have a two and a half year old. This means that the righteousness God works through my life is gonna be with her children one day. Um, and on from there. Now, that's powerful, and if you think about it, it's one of those mind-blowing statements, like, I don't know if I comprehend all that all the way. How does that work? I, I don't know. God's amazing. <laughs> Excuse me. But so we pass on this righteousness to our families, and I'm, I'm going to briefly go through this part, but we pass on to our kids and our grandkids, the generations, as it talks about. The Bible talks about how we can pass on good and bad to our generations, um, and Matthew 5, 6, I was reading the Beatitudes. We were driving up to Thanksgiving at Lindsay's uncle's house, and I was, it was about an hour drive, so I got in the Word, and I was reading this, and I was like, this fits this. Jesus talks about, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. When we, when we walk in relationship with God, when we hunger and thirst for his presence, his, his goodness in our lives, we will be satisfied, and therefore, that's what we're going to be full of. And this is the righteousness of the blessing that we will pass on to our generations. Um, because the truth of it is, we'll pass on to our grandkids and our kids whatever we have, both good and bad. But what we are full of is what we're going to pass on the most. And so, God, this is something that powerful that I was, as I was reading one of the commentaries they talk about here, is that God is cool because God doesn't need us to do anything, like the passage I was reading earlier with um, Paul speaking to Athens. You know, a lot of times I look and go, God, it wouldn't be a lot easier not to use us. <laughs> and he's probably like, yeah, it probably would be. But it's not worth it. Because I want to use my kids. I love my kids, and I want them to be a part of everything I'm doing. Um, one of my favorite preachers in every nation, his name is Brett Fuller. He talked about this image about every time, you guys know when you get something from like Ikea or any place, you have to put the parts together, and there's, you end up with more than you started with. And um, it's like, extra bolts just come out of nowhere. And he was like, he was putting together this cabinet in their, in their bathroom. And he said, it's not easy to do this for him because he's not really good at this kind of stuff. And his, at the time, his little daughter, I don't know how old she was. Um, his daughter was little at the time, should be that way. Um, little daughter. I don't know how tall she was. Um, but his daughter came in and she said, Hattie, can I help you? And he's going, I already stink at this. 
Like, this isn't going to, this isn't going to be easy. It's already going to take me a while. It's going to take me an hour, but with her, it'll probably take four. And he was like, of course, baby, let's do this. I look at it a lot of times with God and me, that's how it is. That he's going, I don't have to use you, but I want to use you. I want to do this with you. Davin comes to me all the time, wants to help with stuff. It makes it always harder, but it is so much worth, it's so worth it. And I look at this, and this is really this generational passing is God gives us the privilege of nurturing those who will be his people in coming generations. Let me read that again. Think about what that means. This isn't just if you're birth children. I think this is part of a spiritual community thing, that we all have this process where we are getting to raise up and disciple and nurture those who will become his people in the coming generations. That's a deep thing. Now, let me move on here, um, because I could just go on and on about that. But don't, don't ever think for a second that what you're doing and the impact you're having on someone isn't, isn't important. And even just first and foremost, how we are, how what we're full of and what we're carrying is, it's super important. Now, verse, verse 18, it says, it still talks about the steadfast love of the Lord is with those, who, and bless, he blesses those, and it's with those. It says who fear him, right, in verse 17, and, the, and his righteousness is with those. It also says it, his steadfast love is with those who keep his covenant. And remember to do his commandments. Um, so the love of the Lord is not only on those who honor him. It's also with those who keep his covenant or remember to do his commandments, which really is another way you could talk about is living a life of faith. Now, I believe this is what Jesus is talking about when he said, if you love me, you will obey my commands. And, and this idea that when he, when he redeems us and we're born again and we're disciples of him, of his, our hearts, be, he changes our hearts and they start to change and our desires start to change. And therefore, obeying him and following his commandments really aren't a burden anymore. It's not like when we tell Davin what to do and she says, no, I don't want to. Actually, she doesn't say want to. She says, I can't want to, or I can't want it. Instead of don't, like, if we're trying to give her, I can't want it. Or I, I can't want to do that. I mean, so I'm like, what do you, you know, it's like, come on, God. Like, don't you want to honor me? Isn't, it, isn't this a privilege to do what I'm asking you? How many of you guys feel that way? Like, no, how do, we're not wired that way. But when God changes us, it flips things upside down. And all of a sudden now, obeying his covenant and remembering to do his commandments and obeying him is not a burden. It's a privilege. It's something we desire to do now. And then it says that his blessing and his love, this everlasting eternal love starts to come even more to us. Like I was talking about earlier, that relationship, that intimacy with him grows and you feel this love at a deeper level. Um, I don't know about you guys. I, I start to slip from feeling his love when I really start, when I really stop obeying his commandments. That's the whole idea of that cycle I was talking about. Um, so it comes with us if we're obeying his commandments, we're walking with him, this, this everlasting love is just expanded even more and more. And, and, and this is where I was talking about it. It's that when we, it, hearts begin to change. It's not a burden. And, it, and it's a progressive thing. It doesn't like you just all of a sudden one day are perfect at this, right? Because like, I think a lot of us, we can sit here and go, this scares me because um, who here has kept God's covenant and his commandments perfectly? I, I haven't. Like, we're sitting there going, man, God, I, I haven't kept you all your covenants. I haven't honored you all the time. I haven't, I haven't obeyed your commandments. And, and he makes you go, well, what's going to happen? Well, his love's not fading. It's not, he's never changing. Like I said, he's still with you. But here's the great thing. We have this gift called repentance where every day we can get right standing with him and keep going. And he keeps growing us and progressing us. And I, that cycle starts to go down to that dot where he's just central to everything. And we're not falling away 
Now, this is an important thing, though, because, and this is really something I want to kind of hone in on here as we get closer to the end of this. It can scare us because when we haven't kept it, we start to, we start to, start to get stressed out, and the enemy starts to come in and feed you those lies where you see you didn't do good enough. It starts to become about our works and what we can do when it's never about that. It's all about Christ and what he's done. And so, but here's the truth. If you're in Christ Jesus, if you've accepted him as your Lord and Savior, we have kept the covenant and his commandments perfectly in Christ. It's all about Jesus. I, I was telling Lindsay, I was like, it doesn't matter what sermon I do, I always end up on the gospel and Jesus and how it's about him because we live in a fixed reality. What I mean is explained in the gospel, the good news. And really, let's look at this. It's both, number one, this is going to be on the screen, a past event. And number two, a current status. So the gospel, meaning a past event, meaning this happened. It's not advice. It's news. When you report on news of something, that is something that did happen, and you're saying this is a reality now that has changed the world. So it's not just a past event, it's not just good advice we might listen to. No, this is news, and therefore it changes and demands that our reality should be subject to what has happened. So we live in a reality that the gospel has happened. Jesus Christ has died for us and has changed everything. Um, and so when we're accepting him, this, this, is, this is not wavering. It's just like I was talking about. This reality is set. It's not going anywhere. Now, number two, the second part of this, it says it's a current status. Now, this is pretty important because then it's not just saying this is just a past event that happened, accept Christ, now make it through the rest of your days until you go home to eternity with God in heaven, right? This is a current status that we live in every day. Um, you have an ambassador status. You have a son or daughter status. You have, we can just name a royal priest, all the identities and things that God has placed on you now because of the status of following Christ and him being in him. This is something that we walk in and live in. And I want you guys to realize that your, your, your everyday reality is shaped and molded and controlled and, and undergirded with a firm foundation, if you will, by the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not a wavering thing. I don't, I don't know, nothing which Jesus changes in this. Now, I could go on and on about this, but let me, let me pull a quote out here from Charles Spurgeon. Now, this is kind of old language, but... Um, Stick with me on this. This is really the idea that we have perfectly kept his covenant and his commandments in Christ. Spurgeon is an old old theologian, and he says, I look to the Old Testament, and I see, because let me back up real quick and say, this passage we talked about, and I didn't get into this deep today. Pastor Rich talked about the first week, that all the covenants, all the promises that God gave to Abraham and his people in the Old Testament are mine and yours in Christ Jesus. And so Spurgeon's saying, I look to the Old Testament, I see certain blessings appended to the covenant of works. Back then they had to earn and do the right things. That's why the priests went in and offered sacrifices because they couldn't earn it and they couldn't do the right things. You see them constantly going back and forth in that cycle I was talking about. And I say to myself by faith, those blessings are mine for I have kept the covenant of works in the person of my covenant head and surety Every blessing which is promised to the perfect obedience belongs to me. Since I present to God a perfect obedience in the person of my great representative, the Lord Jesus Christ. If you've accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're following him. This is something you can claim. And this love that he talks about that comes to those who obey his commands and walk and remember his covenant 
in Christ Jesus, it says when we come up there and all of our flaws and failures were in Christ, it's like he sees Jesus and he's like, yeah, you've perfectly kept it. Come in. Jesus has done it all for you. Now, it doesn't mean we don't have a responsibility to think about how we live here. This, 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 that it doesn't mean we just take our hands off like, oh, I don't care. I'm just going to kind of coast through this. Because Jesus said, yes, he already did it. It's a past event. It's our current status, though. And it means it's, we get to walk from this status. Um, I love that last part where he says, every blessing which is promised to perfect obedience belongs to me since I present to God a perfect obedience in the person of my great representative, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's sobering. Now, verse 19, I think, is kind of the final where we're gonna stop today. And it's funny because when I read verse 19, it said, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. So when you're reading all this stuff, and I've talked about all these things about life being short and God being everlasting, and there's a temporary and an eternal and where our focus really is, and we go, how can we be sure of all this? How, how do I know? And as if we needed a more proof, David pulls this verse out, <laughs> right? At the end of that, like, well, in case you're still wondering, guess what? God's still in charge of everything. He made it all. So let me remind you of that. Now, it says, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. This is a sure thing. I've said that over and over today. A promise that will stand forever. He, and this is one way that I saw a com, uh, a, one of the commentaries where he said, his uni, it's his universal rule over all creation. He's in charge. He knows what he's doing. Even in the midst of the chaos and what we see, God still knows. So we can trust everything that he said here in this passage and when the stuff about his steadfast love and his everlasting, everlasting, all that is true and it doesn't change. Now, the Lord establishes his throne. It says this, there is no equal for him. He won't share it. Remember, there's one who tried. And what happened? Now, Obviously, I'm talking about Satan there. When he tried to be like, see, God, there's only one Lord in Jesus. There's only one Trinity. And they're in charge of all of this. Worship team, if you guys want to come up. There is no equal. He won't share it. Jesus said in the Great Commission at the end of Matthew, the first thing he says in it is he says, before he ascended back into heaven, he's talking to his disciples. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And then he says, now, therefore, go. You guys know the end. Go make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you to the end of the age. But the cool thing is our king makes this statement, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And that covenant surety, the one that's perfectly we're walking in, therefore it means the one we're in has full authority and control of everything. There is no room for concern or fear or stress because he's in charge. And, and, the cool, and this is something I think we struggle with sometimes because the best kind of kingdom, this is going to be on the screen, the best kind, of rule, king, best kind of rule is a kingdom with a benevolent, loving king. We live in a democracy where we vote people in and out and things. And that's not a bad thing. I'm not making this political statement. What I am saying is the best kind, though, and this way never worked with men is because we're flawed and they would be selfish or they would go down the list. But when you have a perfect, benevolent, loving king running his kingdom, that's the best thing ever. There is no debate on if he's, what his approval rating is or I'm gonna vote him in or out. He's in charge. He knows what he's doing. And so we have this in Jesus Christ as sons and daughters who have been adopted in. Do you guys understand that? 
I hope you do. Um, it changes our whole perspective. This is what this passage is talking about from the beginning, that about God's steadfast love is everlasting and his righteousness is with us. When we remember this, we are as we should be. Full of praise and thankfulness for all God has blessed us with in Christ Jesus. We're not forgetful. We're full of praise. And this is how we can sing as David did in verse one of the passage. Bless the Lord, O my soul. All that was within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. All that is within me, bless his holy name. So let's take a moment now and respond to this in worship and and do that very thing. We're gonna sing the 10,000 reasons again where we can say, bless the Lord, O my soul. All that was within me, bless his holy name.